When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 166 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo, joined by my friend and colleague, Daryl Slater. And Daryl, of course, we were teasing this game out for weeks, that this could be a line of demarcation for Pat Shermer, for the coaching staff. You called it a litmus test game. They're 0-3 in such litmus test games against the Cardinals' Lions and Jets now, and throw the Cowboys in there 0-4. Oh, They're riding a six-game losing streak into the bye. No changes that we know of for this team right now, but certainly some big-picture conversations could be taking place behind the scenes. This is uh, this is rock bottom for the Giants from a reality, oh, from a public perception standpoint, certainly an ownership perception, because ownership does not take kindly to losing to the Jets. And they shouldn't take kindly. You can make an argument that, like, oh, that the image of the Jets being what they are is all dependent on how good the team is. Well, obviously, the team's terrible this year. The Jets are terrible. They're awful. So losing to a team with that record, with a one and seven record, and and, and having that team be the quote unquote little brother team, or however you want to call it, uh, across town, that's that's a problem for Pat Shermer from a public perception standpoint and a reality standpoint because they lost to that team. I mean, they. They, they did not acquit themselves well, particularly on defense against one of the worst offenses in the league. It's not like this offense had just been struggling because Sam Darnold, you know, had mono. They were they were bad the past three weeks, even with Sam Darnold. And now here the Giants sit 2-8, and six-game losing streak going into their bye. And six games left in the season, we you know, really have to step back and take a big picture look at things. In the short term, Giants come out with Bears, Bears Packers, Eagles. And guess what? Longest losing streak team history, nine games. They could equal it. Yeah, that record is certainly in jeopardy, and you have the Dolphins after that. They beat the Jets. We'll get into all of that. We'll talk about what this loss means for Pat Shermer's future, what Daniel Jones and the Giants need to show you the rest of the way, show John Mara the rest of the way to preserve Pat Shermer's job and make you, the fan base, feel like they're headed in the right direction. But a little bit of housekeeping before we get into all that, of course. Uh, we'd love if you would subscribe to the show in the Apple Podcast Store. Check us out on iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, and, of course, leave us those five-star reviews. We'd love to hear... What you think about the show, if you'd like to have us try to get some guests on, who you would like uh, to hear us try to talk to. And, of course, follow the show on Twitter. He's at Daryl Slater. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. And, of course, you can find the show on Twitter at TalkIsCheapNYG. Um, Daryl, you just look at this team right now, and it really just seems like it's difficult to say they're headed in the right direction. And Pat Shermer said uh, on Tuesday, the final media availability before the bye week, that there are a lot of things that he thinks look good on film and that the team is doing well on film, but they're undone by a couple of mistakes, especially late in the game. 
I struggle to see it. I, I know Darius Slayton is emerging. I know that Daniel Jones um, has has looked competent the last couple of games, but he lost another fumble that was returned for a touchdown the other day. Saquon Barkley doesn't look right. The offensive line is in shambles. And, oh, by the way, the defense can't hold a fourth-quarter lead for the second year in a row. So, so it's tough for me to hone in on a lot of positives about this team right now. Yeah, I mean, I, where where are, where is the progress? And I think that's what that that's the what three word question uh, forward. Where is the progress? If you if you stretch it out, that 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 fans and John Mayer are going to be looking for. That was what this season was all about all along. Whether it's progress from Daniel Jones or progress from this young defense, people I think would be willing to bite uh, the bullet on a six win season or maybe even a five win season. If they saw progress, and that's what John Mara has said all along, and we've repeated it over and over, uh, by the end of the season, he wanted to see the arrow pointing up and wanted to see progress coming out of the last game of the season. And right now, it's really hard to look at this rebuild and see where it's going. Um, that's a game you can't lose on Sunday. Uh, you know, I understand you can't measure a rebuild on wins and losses, and you should be able, to, you should be willing to take the sting of some losses. But that that is a loss you can't, you cannot take. And especially how the Giants lost the game, falling behind 14 nothing to start the game, going into the fourth quarter up uh, 30, uh, 27 to, to 24, and being outscored 10 nothing in the fourth quarter. Not starting, not finishing. That's a sign of an immature team. And it's also the same mistakes from the head coach. I mean, let's go back to the Tampa Bay game that if Matt Gay hits a 34-yard field goal, the Giants are 1-9 and nine at this point, right? And one of the things that led to that was – abysmal clock management late in the game, calling timeouts way too early. That happened again against Arizona, where Pat Shermer went for it, I believe, deep in his own territory on an ill-fated, I think it was like 4th and 15 or something like that, yeah. that didn't go that well, go well for the Giants. And he said afterwards that it played out exactly the way he thought it would play out because the Giants had the chance to get the ball back. Nevertheless, they still won the game. And then Sunday afternoon, I'm sitting in the press box between you and our good buddy Mike Kay, who covers the Eagles for NJ com was filling in and you know adding to the staff for the day I was flabbergasted there's four minutes and 30 seconds left in the game and Pat Shermer's burning through all three timeouts and after the game I asked him point blank is there any regret or any second thought to doing that and he goes well once you start burning them you kind of have to burn them what like, like that to me is just abysmal clock management it's now a pattern with this head coach and if you want to point to reasons why that progress isn't happening I think the talent on the field is there I think that you look at the poor clock management you look at the play that Brian Baldinger exposed on Twitter where you have two wide receivers kind of crossing within a couple feet of each other and stopping in the middle of the field it, it just seems like this is a very poorly coached football team from the top on down right now Every passing week basically reinforces the notion that Pat Shermer just isn't a very good head coach. Maybe he's a pretty good offensive coordinator, but the guy is seven and nineteen with the Giants uh, and seventeen and forty-two as a head coach. And at some point, you can't just blame all that on on crappy talent. And he did not have a really good roster in Cleveland. We understand that the talent is pretty lackluster on this roster. I think it's pretty fair to say, you know, not just a young team, but they have problem areas that have nothing to do with youth, especially on the offensive line. Uh, and, and you understand you're going to have struggles when you're young, but the roster building has not been uh, nearly successful enough. And that Pat Trimmer, to hit, you know, to be fair, has nothing to do with that. Um, but the reality is, in today's NFL, the head coach is the scapegoat before the GM. That's just how it works.
quarterbacks. Um, and you saw it last year with the Jets and Todd Bowles starting a rookie quarterback. Granted, Todd Bowles is not in year two, um, but uh, this is this is how it works. And if the head coach is not going to be the scapegoat, the defense coordinator is going to be the scapegoat, especially speaking with this team in particular. No midseason changes. Right, and I think that that's interesting because I think you can make a case after what we've seen from the Giants in the 26 games where Pat Shermer was the head coach that Sunday – there was more than enough justification to fire Pat Shermer, in, in my opinion, in terms of the totality of the body of work. But it wasn't the right move. And you and I talked about this off the podcast. We've both talked to people um, around the building and around the league where, you know, that, that's more of a punishment than anything else. I think it's detrimental to the long-term development of Daniel Jones to have him go from one head coach in philosophy trying to build to the long term to an interim head coach who's trying to do whatever it takes just to win a couple games so he has an opportunity here or elsewhere to a new head coach. So potentially three different play callers in his first 12 months as an NFL rookie quarterback, I think that's detrimental. But I think that you can almost seal your fate if you're Pat Shermer of not being back if the Giants lose their next three games, which is very possible, if not likely, at the Bears against the Packers and at Philadelphia. And if you lose to the Miami Dolphins at MetLife Stadium, which I'm not taking off the table after we saw Miami beat the Jets and then go into Indianapolis, a far more talented team than what the Giants are fielding week after week and winning that football game, that if you lose 10 in a row, I think that seals Pat Shermer's fate if it isn't sealed already for the end of the season that he would be gone. No doubt. I think it would have been punitive to to can him now, and it wouldn't have really served any practical purpose. There's six games left. Let these games play out. Yes. I mean, if they, if they lose if they lose the 10th straight game, and that's to the Dolphins, they set their all-time franchise record for losing streaks. There's two games left. He's probably getting fired at that point because it's just, you know, you'd be delaying the inevitable at that point. But I think it's one thing to say Daniel Jones go out there with an interim head coach for two games. Another thing to say go out there and do it for six games. And there's still a possibility that Pat Shermer could save his job at this point. I don't. I don't think he's a very good head coach. What I don't, would it take? That's the thing, All right? So if if you don't fire him now, and the firing at the end of the season seems possible, I let's say could, could they do it with five wins? I think if they win six games, that, they, that's that's for definitely sure. progress. Then, yes, then, then he's, he's back. back. Five games is is questionable because look, they, it depends on how they do it. You got Bears, Packers, Eagles, Dolphins, Washington, Eagles. Okay, so the two of those games you probably cannot afford to lose. Dolphins and Washington, especially now that Dwayne Haskins is starting down in Washington. So you figure that's four wins right there. Yeah, and the if Eagles beat, aren't good enough at this point where they're going to be resting people in right. Week 17. They're probably going to need that game uh, against the Cowboys in the NFC East and probably not for a wild card because I think it's coming out of the NFC West. But I think the Eagles need that game, whereas if you talked about it at the beginning of the season, you might pencil that in as a win for the Giants because they would have something to play for and the Eagles might not. I think if, if, if Pat, say, presuming, and you can't presume this because the Giants are one of the worst teams in the league in addition to these teams, Miami and Washington, but say they beat Miami and Washington, then where does that fifth win come from? I think if you look at that fifth win coming in one of these next three games, Bears, Packers, Eagles, I think that bodes well for Pat Shermer. I think if he comes out of the bye week and they win in Chicago and a team against a team that's really struggling uh, to be consistent this year but has plenty of talent, especially on defense, I think that would be a good, you know obviously bode well for him. Now, that wouldn't carry him through to the rest of the season. He'd still have more to do. But if they somehow stun the Packers, that obviously would help. But realistically, I think if they beat the Bears, beat Miami, 
beat Washington, then lose to Green Bay and lose the two Eagles games, I think he could be back. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I, it's possible. And I think it also goes beyond wins and losses because I think even if you win just two games and you're 4-12 and 12 and you take one step back, but you lose those games 37-31 to 31 yeah. or 34-28 to 28 and Daniel Jones – Stop! You know, stops fumbling the football. The interceptions have not really been an issue for Daniel Jones. It's been ball security in the pocket and when he's running with the football. If he cuts down on the turnovers and the offense averages 27 uh, to 30 points per game, wins and losses probably do not matter. I think it all comes down to what do you see from Daniel Jones that is going to determine the fate of Patrick. Now, again, that's that's irrespective of losing four in a row and losing to the Dolphins and losing 10 straight. That, that, that I think, seals your fate on the negative end. But beyond wins and losses, I think it all comes down to Daniel Jones cutting down on turnovers and continuing to play the way he did against the Jets. For sure. Obviously, Daniel Jones is the big part of the evaluation, and turnovers are the big part of the evaluation of a young quarterback. And uh, there has to be some some results. I mean, they can't just say, uh, look, you know <laughs> – I mean, the Giants lose out and they lose every game, you know, 42 to 38. That's not happening, obviously. Right. Like, we're talking about, like, realistic situations here. I think it's a good point you bring up. If Daniel Jones shows progress and it's an area of the team that Pat Shermer doesn't control, the defense, that's really sputtering, and the Giants, say, win five games, they you know, finish with five wins, uh, then, you know, I think that bodes well for Pat Shermer and James Betcher is the, is the fall guy, I think, which we wrote at the beginning of the season. I mean, even in training camp. You wrote this early on in yeah, training camp. Yeah, and it was kind of after talking to you about it because you knew the situation and the team a little bit better at that point. But just talking about, uh, you know, this defense is young. James Betcher struggled last year with this group, but it was a team that did, the defense that didn't have nearly as much talent uh, to some degree as last year's group did. Uh, so you expected struggles, but if he could turn this defense into something good, he could have parlayed it into a head coaching job. If the group struggled, he was going to be the fall guy. Now right. he'll get another job somewhere, but you know this isn't a full-on indictment of him uh, because he doesn't have a lot of talent, but there has to be uh, some kind of... Uh, change here. Yeah, I'll say this, Daryl. I don't think that don't outside, of maybe, have. <laughs> outside of maybe Jabril Peppers and for the first six or seven games, Dexter Lawrence, this defense doesn't have a lot of difference makers. And you look at the defenses that he had in Arizona, you have to wonder how much of his ability to blitz and bring out the best of his scheme was a byproduct of Patrick Peterson and Tyron Mathau and all the the pass rushers that they had out there during his tenure, but how much of his success is just a byproduct of that talent versus the talent helping the scheme? Because you look at DeAndre Baker, and he's a kid, first-round rookie, cornerback, is a difficult position to play in the NFL as a rookie, admitted that he didn't know the plays after the loss to the Dallas Cowboys, showed a, a complete lack of hustle on the Demarius Thomas catch along the sideline on Sunday afternoon against the Jets. It, it's just the inability to get this team ready to play the blowing fourth quarter leads, a, a rookie not hustling and not knowing the playbook, that yes, you don't have those all pros littered across the every level of your defense, but I think that there needs to be a fine line between getting the most out of the talent that you have and not needing those all pros to play even at a competent level. Yeah, I, and this defense hasn't been competent. I mean, the, the James Betcher's probably ceiling for this group was going to be, you know, a five, five and a half, six on a, on a one through ten scale of competence, and they are not close to that. I mean, they are, uh, especially as you saw Sunday, uh, and uh, atrocious in, on, in to troubling levels in terms of hustle and those sort of things and, and not getting enough progress out of young guys. So, 
Um, I don't know how this is all going to turn out, but it, you know, now with six games left, two and eight, six straight losses, it's certainly time for us, you know, to consider what's next. And uh, are you surprised that they didn't make any coaching staff changes over this bye week or coming into the bye week? Are you surprised that, that James Betcher's back? Because, admittedly, I kind of am. Because it's not like you're firing the head coach, and I, I just don't know that I've seen enough out of James Betcher getting his team ready to play to say that he should continue as the defensive coordinator when you have and again Bill McGovern is not going to be an NFL head coach anywhere at this point in his career but he was a defensive coordinator at Boston College and a pretty damn good one uh, when Florida State was at their heyday and he still had to go up against Clemson he's called defensive plays before Everett Withers was an assistant head coach at James Madison and a defensive coordinator there when they kind of were at the beginning of leading national prominence at the FCS level I just wonder if for the sake of shaking things up and getting a different voice in there, maybe a guy who's willing to take a little more chances with the blitzing and leave his corners out on an island for the sake of hoping you get a disruptive play, wouldn't have benefited this team by making a change at coordinator because I think there's more to be gained by doing that than firing your head coach. The thing you have to remember is it uh, this this is a Shermer decision, right? Right. Fire the coordinator or not fire him. Uh, but you do that now, you eliminate a scapegoat for after the season. And I know that's probably not how Pat Schirmer is thinking about it. If he, you know, maybe he is, but I'm, you know, we don't know that for sure. That so I'm not I don't want to put thoughts out there that aren't necessarily his. But think about it from just sort of playing devil's advocate here, uh, from the most cynical standpoint. If the coach fires the defensive coordinator now, the coach trying to save his job. Uh, and they win a few games, and then there needs to be a scapegoat at the end of the year. Who's, yeah. a, who's the scapegoat then? Well, then it's Pat Trump. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> there, there's nobody to deflect blame to because he calls the, the chopping plays. block. It's right. like what Adam Ga- happened with Adam Gase and the Jets. He wins a power struggle with Mike McCagnan. If Mike McCagnan was still here, there wouldn't be as much talk about Adam Gase being one and done with the Jets because McCagnan would be the clear next scapegoat. Because you wouldn't be, you wouldn't fire the GM and then right. fire the first year head coach. No, you just fire the GM. Well, Joe Douglas isn't getting fired, so who's the next in line in the blame game there? So uh, I think that that's uh, that's something that now I'm I'm not saying Pat Shermer considered that or anything like that, but that's just something to look at from just sort of a, a skeptic, cynic's point of view. So no I, I'm it. not really surprised that they didn't make a move, just because maybe because of that, but also um, these you know teams typically uh, try to stay in the status quo. Like, like Anthony, Lynn fired, Anthony Lynn fired his offensive coordinator, right? Anthony Lynn's not getting fired after this year by the Chargers, right? right. He's fine, okay? So, like, a, a coach who's on the hot seat, you typically don't see it where he, where he scapegoats an assistant. I'm just trying to think. Maybe there have been times, but, like, I'm just – I just don't – I'm trying to think of the changes that have been made on, on staffs um, – over the years recently, you typically see them on teams where the coach is probably safe, Probably safe right? or where you're not meeting expectations. It, it, the right. Giants didn't have expectations to push for a playoff spot or a championship. And there were people, myself included, who had the Chargers in the AFC championship game. Yeah. And they're obviously not living up to that standard this year. Maybe so. the Cardinals fired their offensive coordinator last year or something like that. I can't recall. Yeah, it and could be. Steve Wilkes was one and done. But, but the Giants um, aren't at that playing field yet they're not they're not facing those win now expectations so i think to some degree a little surprising maybe but here's what would be the most surprising thing if the whole staff's back next year like not not the whole staff i'm talking about if betcher and Shermer are both back how all right so what percent chance would you say that Shermer and betcher are both back 
Like, how low is it? Five yeah. percent, maybe four and a half. I know, and I think the the, the most likely fall guy is Betcher, but we still have six games left here for Pat Shermer to either save right. his job or to. And and, 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 what, and what I think furthers the move towards ultimately firing Betcher is Daryl. I don't think they have three, four personnel on this team. I think that especially after you trade for Leonard Williams and you have B.J. Hill, Dalvin Tomlinson, Dexter Lawrence, and Williams, there needs to be thought to go into a 4-3 base defense because they don't have the edge rushers to generate enough pressure out of a 3-4 that if you are going to re-sign Williams and there is no, even though B.J. Hill's snaps have decreased, if you plan on bringing him back and he was a third-round pick last year, I, I don't know how you keep a 3-4 coordinator with a secondary that you don't feel confident enough in sending extra pressure on. Um, I think you're more likely to, if you're keeping the head coach, go find a coordinator that runs the 4-3, rotate those defensive linemen, and kind of make that the bedrock of your defense and worry about the secondary after the fact. So, yeah, I, I think if you're bringing Shermer back, I, unless there's some sort of turnaround after the bye week where this becomes a top five defense in the league, which isn't going to happen, um, I think there's a good chance that James Vetcher is gone. Yeah, I think that, you know, and I think it's a really good point scheme wise. And you, in, in terms of guys who could replace him, you had a list go up right after the game yeah. on Sunday um, when another game that kind of moves James Vetcher toward a potential sealing of his fate and being fired. So that was a good list. And then we had uh, one today, and, and I know it's probably premature on November the 12th with six games left going into a week 11 bye, but time to maybe start talking about uh, what the Giants do in terms of head coaching replacements because, uh, look, the fans are talking about it, um, and you know that if ownership is even thinking about if John Mayer is even thinking about making a change, these are names that are in his head at right. least. I'm sure at least one of the twelve we cast a wide net. So one of the twelve guys at least has got to be somewhere in John Mayer's head. Somewhere. We're not claiming to these these are the guys that he's considering, but these are just some some, some to consider. So we threw yeah. it out there for you guys today and Yeah, you um, and I put our heads together. We tried to think of a couple yeah. qualifications, guys that have developed quarterbacks in the past, guys who might be up and coming offensive minds. Giants connections. Giants connections, NFL head coaching experience, major college head coaching experience, and a couple defensive names as well. Um, I, I don't know if we want to go through every single name, but there are a Let's couple. Let's go through them real quick. I'll yeah. run them down and just with a couple seconds on each. John Filippo, we made him our our number one guy. I, I put him number one on the list. Yeah, yeah. I, I covered him in Philadelphia when he was the quarterback coach with Carson Wentz. And just to take Giants fans through it a little bit, Carson Wentz's rookie year, he'd suffered from dead arm towards the end of the season in 2016. There were some issues with his arm strength. Eagles were kind of worried about that going into the offseason. That spring, Filippo raised up his release point a little bit, made a couple mechanical changes to his delivery, and next thing you know, he's an MVP candidate, and then he goes down, and they turn Nick Foles into a Super Bowl MVP, and then he goes to Minnesota, and he clashes with the head coach out there, goes to uh, Jacksonville. He's called plays the last two seasons. He made Gardner Minshew look like a competent quarterback. So you look at what Filippo has been able to do in his previous two out of his three start uh, stops. I think, Daryl, he's probably the ideal guy to develop Daniel Jones and be the head coach of this team. Uh, just real quick on him and then we'll get to the next guy. He was the hot candidate going into next last year. Things did not go well for him in Minnesota. Hits the restart button and probably Gardner Minshew starting is the best thing that could have happened to him in Jacksonville because it's the same thing at Pat Shermer in Minnesota. Look what he did with Case Keenum. Look what he did with Gardner Minshew. So, uh, that's sort of the thumbnail sketch on DeFilippo. Play calling experience, the Minnesota thing. 
maybe a little bit of a concern that with that year not going well, but he's sort of reestablished himself as a candidate. Next one, I'll kind of take the lead yeah. on this one. Eric Bieniemy with the Chiefs, their offensive coordinator, does not call the plays. Andy Reid coaching tree, that whole thing. We already know about that. You know, we got a guy here, Pat Shermer, who, who came from that tree as well. Uh, doesn't call the plays. Reid does, but uh, certainly deserves a lot of credit for what what's happened with Patrick Mahomes and 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 Bieniemy. Not necessarily a quarterback developer per se in terms of being a former quarterback or a quarterback coach. You know, he's a former running back in the NFL, um, but uh, but certainly has come from a pretty darn good and, offense there and, and was, a, was a candidate last year who yeah. got interviews. And, and he's kind of viewed as a rising offensive mind in the NFL, and the Reed coaching tree has had a lot of success in a, in a few different stops. Um, Matt Rule is another guy That's on the number list. number three on our list, yep. You know, you look at – all you have to do is go back and watch Temple or watch Baylor this year. Um, a little bit of an air raid offense, but his teams have that tough as nails personality. They're, they're a very physical group. Um, they, he's got his players to buy into what he's selling. He's not just one of those snake oil salesman, you know, type of coaches that you see at the college level in some places. And he's a guy who has connection working for Tom Coughlin, a previous coaching experience, uh, you know, with, with Coughlin as the head coach. So I think if the Giants are putting together a short list, rule is definitely on He it. interviewed with the Jets last year and was was down to the wire with them. Uh, they obviously strongly considered him for the job. Coach college coaches going to the NFL doesn't always work. We'll see what happens with Cliff Kingsbury. You know, you have a, a litany of coaches where yep. it didn't work over the years. Sometimes it does. Jimmy In the previous John- year, he interviewed with the Colts, too. Yep, and sometimes it does. Jimmy Johnson, sometimes it doesn't. Steve Spurrier. So, uh, number four, Josh McDaniels. Is, should he be four? I mean, what is the likelihood he's going to leave at this point? You know, I think I considered this for one of the other guys on the list, putting him lower because it's unlikely he's going to leave, but it speaks for itself what he's done up there, albeit with Tom Brady, the best quarterback ever. Could he be uh, the next Bill O'Brien? You look at what yeah. O'Brien's been able to do with Deshaun Watson. Um, I think that McDaniels is probably waiting to be the heir apparent to Bill Belichick. I yeah. think they're grooming him for that Does job. Does he want to come to this team, or would he rather go to a, you know, a team better equipped to win? Yeah, that's so a it's, a, it's a fair question he's to ask. He's got a great job right now, and he's not going anywhere. And Josh McDaniels, the fifth guy, and, and Nick Sirianni, interesting name. You guys may not have heard of him much. He's the OC for Frank Reich in Indianapolis. And I think Frank calls the plays there, Matt, right? Yep, yep. So it's another OC who doesn't call the plays. But, you know, look, he's a, he's a new name to the list. He's just 38 years old. Um, and you've seen some of these other guys on the list. McDaniels, Rule, Bien-Ami, uh Filippo. These guys have been on these lists. Nick Sirianni is a new guy to the list. Greg Roman, the guy of Ventnor native, so he's familiar with Jersey. You just watch what the 49ers did a couple years ago with Colin Kaepernick, putting him out wide, moving him around, what you're watching him do with Lamar Jackson, turning him into uh, a far improved pocket passer to what he was at Louisville, but still using that mobility, putting him as a wide receiver at times. Just imagine what he would do with a playbook, and it includes Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram, and Golden Tate, if if they all get on the field together. With that talent there, imagine what Roman's able to do. He's kind of that mad scientist. And we had Roman at seven, Syrian at five, and now this number six guy on the list, he's the really the most fascinating one on this list for so many reasons. Uh, Lincoln Riley. Any Is there any chance, what do you think the chances are that Lincoln Riley is the Giants head coach next year? Give me a percent. I'd say 12 to 15 wow. percent chance. I would say like that, two to four. The Giants would have to yeah. love him and would have to pay him because six million bucks he's making. This yeah, year. you'd have to look at the buyout too. I'm not yeah. sure what the buyout it's is. It's enormous. He just got a new contract this this 
past off season. Yeah, so so that would it's probably lower right. the percentage. Yeah. But, I mean, he would have to be a guy the Giants are all in on because I don't always buy the college coaches want to stay in college. I think that if the right NFL job came along and the Giants are willing to pay him $8 million a year and pay his buyout, I think that he would listen to that. It's just a question of do the Giants want to put out that kind of money? Because then you're committing to him being your head coach for those four years. You're not firing Lincoln Riley after two years Especially after paying, paying that buyout and pay Pat Shermer yeah. for the remaining three no years on his deal. No doubt. Um, the names kind of after seven kind of get a little less notable. Shane Waldron, we have him at eight. He's the Rams quarterback coach, passing game coordinator. Maybe there's a little bit of the Zach Taylor stigma there because that hasn't worked out great in Cincinnati, but he doesn't have talent. Kevin Stefanski, the Vikings OC at nine. That's uh, a tough sell because you just yes. hired the he does the call former, the plays, but so did Pat Shermer. I yep. think that that's the tough sell for the fan base is, okay, you fired Pat Shermer to hire Pat Shermer if you hire Stefanski. Yeah, and, and, and then uh, 10, Robert Sala. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I, you saw him on Monday Night Football. We're doing this on Tuesday. Who's he, Nick Bosa? Yeah. Who's Nick Bosa on this defense, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Well, that's fair. They don't have the talent on this defense. So that's the argument against Sala. And also, uh, and he's going to be a head coach eventually. You can for sure. Tell. But I don't think that's it's a fit for this team because the defense, there's, not, there's no stars on this defense, uh, and they need a guy who can develop. No, if they, now, if they the draft Chase, yeah, if they draft Chase Young at three, and you bring in Robert Sala, then, then you talk. Then, then I you... think I think the issue with Sala, and I think the issue with another guy in this list at number twelve is Chris Richard, the Cowboys passing game coordinator. Another, you know, he's been talked about quite a bit. Head coaching uh, jobs, Sala, Richard, those two guys. Those are the only two defensive guys we have on this list. But the issue with those two guys is you better bring in an offensive guru as a coordinator and quarterback whisperer, developer, however you want to put it. So. Um, I think uh, that that's the caveat there. I put Dan Campbell on this list at 11. I, that's the last one we'll go over because he's the last name we've gone over everybody else. He's a really interesting one. He's the tight ends coach and assistant head coach down in, in, with the Saints. And, uh, and I, I didn't even put Dennis Allen on the list, the Saints defense coordinator, who could get some looks now. Yeah. Years of kind of having struggles there with the Saints defense. But the Campbell's an interesting one because, number one, he, he's a former Giant. Right. Uh, he's a well-respected leader. He's just 43, legit young leader. He was with uh, Peyton was Sean Peyton, obviously the was with the Giants from '99 to '02. Dan Campbell with the Giants for that stretch too. You know, old, not even older. I mean, people, Giants fans my and your age will remember when he was with the team in the yeah. late '90s and early 2000s. So former tight end with the Giants, who's who's a well-respected kind of up-and-coming young leader. It'll be interesting to see if he kind of branches out and goes and tries to take a coordinator job somewhere. Or if he tries to go from just this route to being a head coach, got a great gig, obviously, in, in New Orleans, a lot of stability there. So those are some names to consider. I'm intrigued by Campbell because I think that yeah. if you've worked with Drew Brees and if you've worked with Sean Payton, obviously um, you have a, an idea of what a successful franchise looks like and how it operates. You can borrow from a lot of the things that have worked down there. Um, so that, that's one that I would really keep an eye on kind of as a dark horse if it would come to that. I'm going to throw one more out there, and we didn't put it on the list, and I'm going to write about it for tomorrow morning. It's Tuesday afternoon. We're talking now. This podcast, I guess, is going to go up, barring uh, hiccups, Wednesday morning along with this story at the same time. Jason Garrett. Yeah. What do you think? I think if Jason Garrett gets fired on Thursday, 
he'll be interviewing for the Giants' job on Friday morning. No I doubt. think that that he's the ideal candidate for the Giants. Former Giant quarterback. Um, I think that there's a, a lot of admiration for him in this building. He's obviously familiar with the market and what you need to do um, to succeed in terms of managing the media and the fan base and the expectations here. And and look, I, I know I'm kind of an outlier here, but I think Dak Prescott is a top 10 quarterback in this league. He didn't get there as a fourth-round pick out of Mississippi State for nothing. I think that Garrett has been pretty instrumental in developing him, and I think that you – check the QB development box, you check the the box in terms of uh, instilling a toughness in the defense, you check a box in terms of his system, you know, proven track record, one division championships, one playoff games. So yeah, I, th- I think Jason Garrett would be um, the first phone call that they would make. And should be, I think too. The, the what if is, obviously the Cowboys could go down the stretch, win a bunch of games, and he doesn't go anywhere. But remember, he's in the final year of his contract which starts to get interesting because even if he uh, doesn't get, quote-unquote, let go by the Cowboys, even if they want him back, he's a free agent. Yeah. So he can, right. he can listen to whoever he wants to listen to after the season. There's also the possibility that Jerry Jones says, you know, see you later. Then, he's, then obviously he has less leverage with the Giants in terms of getting money, but he's, he is going to be available no matter what. Unless, for whatever reason, the Cowboys say, we're going to lock you up before the end of the season, which could happen, I suppose, but it seems unlikely. There's a lot of uh, things to like about Garrett. You you ran down a bunch of them. I'll probably just transcribe what you said and write that story for tomorrow, (laughs) so thanks for that. But but another thing is, you know, you talk about New York media pressure and dealing with the media. I know Dallas is not New York. They do have a lot of reporters that cover that team, though. Jerry Jones, the situation that he puts head coaches in is so unique in the NFL. And literally unique. In the, unique. I know that word is overused, but like unique. One and only, right? That's the only place that's like that, where you have the owner talking after, and owner slash GM talking after every, every game. game and going on his radio show and saying like a bunch of random nonsense. Like uh, He's he, dealt with that. He's dealt with oh, that. Yeah. He, can, he can deal with me, you, Pat Leonard, <laughs> Jordan, and you know all these other guys, you know badgering him. You know he's a very even keel guy. It seems from afar, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll go so far as to say this, Daryl, that if Jason Garrett becomes available, either because he's fired at some point or his contract isn't renewed, I think there's thought in that building to firing Pat Shermer to go and get Jason Garrett. I, I don't think that Pat Shermer's performance on the job has done enough to insulate him from the Giants looking for an upgrade. You know what I'm saying? That, that they would fire him, not right. just because of what happened on the field, but so that they would have the opportunity to be first in line to go get Garrett. That's an interesting one because then you – so say say the Cowboys want him back or don't want him back. and He'll be a name in demand next offseason. But if you're going all in and saying – we're getting rid of this guy only to get this guy. Otherwise, we, we would have kept Shermer. I think that's really risky because what if you don't get Jason Garrett? What if somebody else scoops him up? What if he decides to take a year off and do TV? Whatever it is. Right. I think it's. I think you have to evaluate Shermer in a vacuum. Is he the guy or is he not the guy? I understand what you're saying, that, that, but I I think you need to say you, you would need to be all right with somebody else replacing him. Whether to that's put, Steve Filippo or right. Rule or McDaniels. To or put whoever. all your eggs in the Garrett basket would be really, really risky just because of the timing of how these things could fall and work out. Um, I think, But I think there will be ample evidence by the end of the season, in, in, after these final six games, that either Pat Shermer is the guy or he isn't. And, and for in, in order for him to, to check that is box, in order for him to be the guy, boy, this team's got to turn it around off. 
Yep, and they're going to have to do it against probably the toughest portion of their schedule. We talked earlier in the year um, about the gauntlet that they had to go through playing Minnesota and New England on back-to-back weeks on a short week. It's not going to get much easier now where you come out of the bye week and you go to the Bears, you host the Packers, and then you play the Eagles on a Monday night before playing the Dolphins. Buckle up. It's not going to be uh, an easy ride from here for the Giants. Nope. Let's, uh, I guess, before we go, real quick, final six games. We don't have to go game by game. What do you think the Giants' final record is going to be? Uh, I think they'll end up 4-12. and 4-12. and 12. I think they uh, – and, and again, I, I don't feel real strongly about that because I think the Dolphin game is a toss-up. I think they. I think they. I'm gonna be optimistic here. I think they go five and eleven. I think they beat the Bears. I think they beat the Dolphins. And I think they beat Washington. They lose the other three games: Packers, Eagles, Eagles. And uh, you know, obviously, those are the three weakest games left in their schedule. I think they win them all. And then it becomes a question: You win the three weakest. You finish three and three, but you beat three not as good of teams. Uh, and the same record as last year. What do you do with back-to-back five and elevens? I think. Then it's decision time. I think I could see him going either way after that. Yep. But uh, I think 4-12, and 12, he's probably gone. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch, not just on the field, but everything that happens off the field. Do the players stay bought in? What happens if they lose to the Dolphins? What happens uh, behind the scenes with Pat Shermer? Is he coaching for his job? How does he change? A lot of things to watch. What do you see from Daniel Jones down the stretch? It's not just about the wins and losses, but how they get to the record that's going to determine Pat Shermer's fate and really the trajectory of this franchise with Dave Gettleman and John Mara moving into the offseason. No doubt. It'll be an interesting stretch coming out of the bye. And uh, I was going to say, I guess we did our – this is our bye week podcast, so we're not going to miss a week. No. Um, and it worked out well because the Giants had some availability today, so we got the, got a chance to knock this out. So um, Some big changes coming for you. Yeah, man, I was going to say, again. I might not be back next – well, almost certainly. So my wife is due with our first child. And so – Congratulations uh, and good luck with all that. Thanks. Welcome to the thanks. club. We'll yep. light up a cigar on your first day back. It'll be a fun time. <laughs> Take a couple weeks off to, to, to do that. It looks like, you know, we're not really sure when when that's going to happen, but at some point in the next few days here. So uh, I will likely not be on the podcast next week. You should, uh, why don't you have James Cratch come on? That would be a fun reunion, I think James, wouldn't it? No, James can talk a little bit. I think so. he's chomping at the bit. <laughs> we'll have a couple surprises for the time that you're out, but I'm looking forward to you getting back, looking forward to a, a happy and healthy baby Thanks, for you man. and your wife. And uh, look forward to talking to everybody again right here on the Talk is Cheap podcast on NJ.com. 